Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. we've been coming to an understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. And um, the tendency really has been in church history, at least, when we talk about the things of the Spirit, is to sort of get very ethereal and start talking about uh, spiritual things, but it has no, like, (laughs) no connection to reality except for in this space here. And there was a saying in the 1950s and 60s, like, people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. You've heard this before, yes, people? Because I, I think in times gone past, people have talked a little bit, uh, not a little bit, a lot about the things of the Spirit, but then when they went to work on Monday morning, it didn't matter anything. So people would say to people, it's really nice that you're part of that Christian club or whatever it is you do on Sunday morning, but I sleep in on Sunday. I brunch on Sunday morning. And uh, what we want to do is address that a little bit because I don't believe the Holy Spirit was ever, the person of the Holy Spirit was ever to make us so uh, heavenly minded that we were no earthly good. There is actual real life application in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to draw our attention back to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at that in context of the early church and the new and burgeoning church. There's a scripture in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and if you grew up in charismatic circles at all, I'm going to tell you that you probably memorized this uh, as a young child. Acts 1, 8 says this, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you learned it in the King James Version, you learned it like this, and you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You know, people said it in that weird voice. I can't. That was, there weren't a lot of women preachers back then, so it was hard. But anyways, that's how we kind of, we, we talk about the Holy Ghost in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay, so... You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. And uh, for, for those of us that grew up in those charismatic Pentecostal traditions, uh, this became a hallmark verse for us. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit to the 21st century, and I want to contextualize this verse for a minute. I think when people hear that verse now, I, I, I think... And you will receive power. What people think of is superheroes. Now, I know none of you watched any of the Marvel movies or... uh, What's the other one? I get mixed up. Marvel and... Okay, yes. um, For those of you that are concerned that I get this straight, I I had complaints one week about that. Okay, so those of you that watch these, I think sometimes when we hear about power, we think Captain America. Or at the very least, we think like uh, Iron Man. Right? Some of you are sitting there like this right now. Very worldly. Heresy. Okay, you can just pretend and smile. Okay, but, but I think here's what happens. We hear about a power, and a lot of us just go, yeah, well, like, I'm not a powerful person, so whatever. I just don't have a powerful personality. I'm nice. I'm Canadian. Did any, how, how many of you have been watching um, the Raptors games this week? 
Yes, Monday night's going to be a good night. Praise God. We're, we're going to have a time of intercession after this. But anyways, okay. What's hilarious is that Jimmy Kimmel, this is, and if you don't watch TV, just intercede for me right now. Um, okay, so this week on Late Night, Jimmy Kimmel went up to Canada and asked Canadians to trash talk the Golden State Warriors. Okay, it was so funny. You should look it up online because everybody, and everybody is saying things like, they're terrible. I wouldn't want to trash talk them. They're nice people. Like, it was, it was like very typical to Canadians. Not one person said anything mean. They, like, no one was powerful. Everyone was like, I don't know what you're talking about, trash talk. Okay, so I was thinking about this scripture when I, when I watched that funny little clip, and I thought, you know, I, I think sometimes the Canadian church lacks power because we don't really think of ourselves as powerful people. We think of ourselves as nice people. And so we read scriptures like this, and we go, well, clearly that wasn't for me. That was for people in, I don't know what country, Scandinavia? Are they more powerful there? <laughs> You're Scandinavian. Shout out to you right now. <laughs> or that is for people who, like, have all-night prayer meetings. That's for those kinds of people. We're not those kinds of people. And I want to suggest this morning that sometimes the way we think about power precludes us from saying that we need to be filled with this power. So we don't pray prayers like, God, I, this morning when I get out of bed, I want to be filled with your power. We don't pray prayers like that because we don't actually think it applies to us. And I want to just call your attention back to the verse that says, and you will, be, you will receive power. And, and the Greek is constructed in that verse, it's like a so that. So that you can be my witnesses. Okay, so the point is this. God wants to, the Holy Spirit wants to bring us power so that we can be witnesses. Not so that we can start a televangelism ministry. Not so that we can um, get a strange is me card. Not the, the Holy Spirit, the, the only purpose for the power of the Holy Spirit is so that we can be witnesses. So this is the question I've been asking myself for a number of weeks and months. In the cu culture we are currently living in, in what ways do we need power to be witnesses? And I, I think this is the question that all of us have to ask ourselves. In the culture we're currently living in, in what, what does power look like? And as I say that, um, we're going to have just a little bit of a, a linguistics lesson just for a minute. Because I think that the world has co-opted the word power in a way that is not biblical. And so when we think about power, it actually confuses us. Um, there's, a, there's a linguistic term for this, and it's called a contronym. And a contronym is when there are two words, they sound exactly the same, the same. they mean exact opposites. Okay, so let me give you a few of these. Uh, dust. The word dust is a contronym because it means to remove dust. Like if I said I'm going to dust your house. I'm looking at my daughter right now. You're going to dust my house. And then also, like, it also means dust. I'm going to dust it, like to put dust all over something, the exact opposite. Um, think about this. Um, an apology. It's an expression of regret for something or it's a defense or justification of something. Um, to strike, a strike in baseball means like you missed it, but to strike someone means to hit somebody. 
Okay, so there are all these kinds of words in the English language. Exact same word mean totally different things. In fact, they mean opposite things. I want to su uh, suggest this morning that the word power is a contronym. Because the world would suggest this, that power means that we find something inside of us to exert, uh, to be able to influence, influence someone's behavior, and um, we become powerful. The word power in the word of God means that we are diminished and God's power flows through us. Power in the world means it's all about you. And so a lot of us, when we say, we, you will receive power, and you just say, ah, I don't know. But God says, no, no, no. Power, in the biblical sense, means that you deny yourself and let the power of the Holy Spirit work through you. Totally different. Okay, so now, now I want to go back just for a minute and look at, um, look at the, the world we're living in right now. I want to look at it through the lens of loneliness for a minute because I actually think this is where the church needs to breathe power into the world. Um, a study, a, a recent study was done of 20,000 people. This is a very large sociological study. And it said that nearly half of the survey respondents say, said that they are sometimes or always felt alone or left out. One in four said that they rarely or never feel as though that people are there who really understand them. And it was the youngest generation surveyed, those 18 to 22, who said that they were the most lonely. Um, Canadian experts are saying that we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And that um, smaller studies in Canada show that loneliness is prevalent in certain groups across Canada. Two-thirds of university students felt lonely in the last year. For Canadians aged 75 and older, almost one in six had no close friends that they could confide, confide in or call for help. I read a study this, and this is kind of conflicting research. Some of the research says you're going to be uh, lonely if you're single, and then new research came out this week, and all the single people can cheer, that you're going to be lonelier if you are married. So you're going to be lonely if you have kids and not lonely. The bottom line is this, our society is lonely. And if you look back in history, you'll recognize that we've had some shifts in our culture. We've had about four or five major shifts in the past 100 years. There was first the banking revolution. Okay, so it used to be that we traded commodity like I had wheat. I'm making things up here. Do you have soap? We're going to trade it. But then the banking revolution happened and we got uh, currency. And so no longer did I have to look you in the eye and say, hey, Jess, I know that you're good at making soap and I've got wheat. Can we make a deal? No, no. Now I just, you know, I give out the money that I have. That was a major technological shift. And then we had the Industrial Revolution where you no longer made an entire guitar from start to beginning. You just made the knobs on the guitar. And that, that was a major a major point, we, we no longer have as many craftsmen as we used to. People just do a very small thing. And then we had the technological revolution. And I would say that we're currently in a biological revolution. And I think we're going to look back 20 years from now and go, what were we thinking? But anyways, here we are, all these revolutions. And I'm not suggesting we go back 100 years. So don't, nobody, all of you that are getting worried, saying she's going to ask us to bring our cars to the altar and give them up. No. But we do have to be really aware of what our society has done to our culture. 
as people uh, who follow Jesus, it is really important that we understand this because if we don't, we just stick our head in the sand and we go on the conveyor belt of life, all of a sudden we look up and realize, what? What's going on? In some ways, all of these revolutions have uh, taken us away from personhood and replaced it with power. Even things disguised as personhood are really tools of power. Okay, so like Instagram, it's disguised as a tool of personhood. Like I can show all the people what I'm doing right now and what food I'm eating right now. Listen, can I just, this is a PSA. If you post every meal that you, I assume you're eating, you are still alive. Can we, just sorry. Okay, that's just a pet peeve of mine. Okay, anyways, nothing to do. But essentially likes, though, become... Uh, symbols of powerhood, of power, right? Not, not personhood. And anytime we shift personhood to power, all kinds of problems happen. Anytime the world shifts away from person-to-person interaction and replaces that with power, that becomes problematic. Let me give you just a few. When we trade personhood for power, it leads to wanting for more. We have an insatiable desire to have more and more and more and more power. It causes us to become competitive, to climb ladders that go nowhere. It has us treat people as commodities. So what can I get from you instead of who are you? It causes exhaustion and burnout. Highest levels of burnout right now are happening in our society. In Japan, they actually have a Japanese word for dying from working too much, burning out. And then this profound feeling of loneliness. And I want to suggest today that we've traded in our culture, we've traded personhood for power. And if the church doesn't actually sit up and take note of this, it becomes problematic. Now, I I will say this, though, too. Nothing is new under the sun. So it's not like, I I don't believe, we're like standing on the edge of a cliff like, oh, no, social media is taking us down a road we cannot get back from. Um, Ecclesiastes tells us this. Nothing is new under the sun. The uh, lure to trade personhood for power has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, the time uh, that the Bible was written in, the time of life that the Bible was written in, in the early church, we can see that they were facing much of the same problems. So So Pentecost Sunday, the very first Pentecost Sunday, the culture was facing much of the same problems that we are currently facing. They had come from a culture. You see, Jesus grew up in a culture where people knew each other. When we read the New Testament, we don't understand this, but when it says, like, Jesus' name, they say his name was Jesus bar Joseph. And we just read it and we go, oh, that's like a weird last name. <laughs> Jesus bar Joseph, weird. He had, like, two first names. Didn't his parents know that about him? Anyways, uh, but really what it was is they were saying, he's Jesus, son of Joseph. Now, in our society today, um, I would venture that there are very few of us that know very few of our parents' first names. So unless you've grown up in a church for a long time and you, like, you just are you, and we assume you had parents, but we don't know who they are and we don't know what their names are. And the Roman culture was much like the culture we're living in now. 
So when Jesus was born into a small culture, it was Jesus bar Joseph. But by the time you fast forward to the church starting, 35 or 33 odd years later, uh, you see that that was no longer the way that it was. You see, the early church, they found themselves having to make their way in an empire that was power hungry. Rome was problematic because unless you had power, you were treated as a commodity. And most people's personhood was not even acknowledged. Most historians will tell you that Rome fell because of corruption from within. But essentially, when you create personhood for power, it creates all kinds of corruption. I mean, personhood was so degraded in Rome that, in fact, if you had sexual relations with someone who was a slave, it wasn't considered sexual relations because a slave wasn't considered a person. Total degradation of personhood. And it's in this environment that the early church is born. It's in this environment that the writer of Acts writes, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Can you see how subversive this was to the culture? So I want to just focus our attention on this little verse from Romans chapter 16. It's become one of my favorite verses. We don't often preach out of Romans 16 because it's like kind of like the end of a letter. Paul has written this big, long letter to the Romans. And he's, um, he's, it's basically like the Grammy Awards. You know when someone gets a Grammy Award and they go, and I'd like to give a shout out to all these people that you don't know. This is kind of what Romans chapter 16. But I, I want to tell you that there's, there's power and there's insight in this chapter. Uh, in Romans chapter 16, Paul is giving this laundry list of like, shout out to this person and that person. And uh, he gives a laundry list of names, men, women. One third of his shout outs are to women, which was another story that we'll talk about some other time. Slaves, free, all manners of names. And there's this one little verse that I would want to read here from uh, verse 22. It says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. And I know some of you are going, I don't, I don't see it. Wow, you're weird. Why are you preaching on this? Okay, let me just give you a little bit of a... Okay, so the name Tertius means third. Okay, now in Roman... In the Roman, in the New Testament world, names still meant something. Okay, it's not like today where some parents we make up names for our children because we like the sound of them. It has nothing to do with the meaning. In Roman days, your name told about your personhood or lack thereof. Tertius means three. Cordus means four. And what most historians will tell us is that Tertius was probably a slave. Cordus was probably a slave. And Tertius, it says, I, Tertius, write this to you. So Tertius has somehow become literate. And Paul uh, is talking out his book of Romans to Tertius. And at the end, in chapter 16, verse 22, Paul turns to Tertius and he says, hey, Tertius, you say hello to the church. Greet them. 
Do you see how powerful this is? So he says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, now here's where it gets real wild. He says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, so we, so we know that Gaius is the one footing the bill for all this. So what's Gaius? He's rich. Gaius is rich. He's like upper echelon. He was a person in Rome. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. Now, that's really similar to today. If we had a director of public works, they're fancy. They, they've made it. Erastus uh, and our other brother, Cordus. Now, Cordus, most biblical scholars will probably uh, land on this, that, Tertius, that Cordus was Tertius' brother, like his actual brother. Their parents had a lot of, a lot of ingenuity with the names. You'll be three and you'll be four. And in this verse, this verse is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. The heart of what it means to bring power to a culture that needs witness. This verse shares it with us. You see, it's no wonder that the church flourished in the middle of an empire that put power over people. And when God said, I I'm going to fill you with power to be witnesses, this is what the scripture was talking about, that we'd have power to speak to the demons of our day. And I want to suggest that in the culture we're living today, that all of us need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can speak to the issues of our day, not with power that the world gives, but with power that the Holy Spirit working through us gives. I, I watched, I, I looked at a little chart this week about the growth of the early church. So it started off with like 100 people. And you can see, you can look it up on Google this week. It's just fascinating. In like less than 100 years, there, there went from 100 to 31 million adherents to Christianity. 1 to 31 million. And I think sometimes we uh, sugarcoat this and think, well, that was just because like in that day they were really, uh, they liked Jesus things. Shine FM was their favorite back then. And we like, and everybody wore sandals back then, so everybody was into like spiritual things. Long flowing hair, wind in their hair. Of course, everyone, I, I just, if you've seen a Jesus movie, you know what I'm talking about. But I want to suggest that the Roman Empire was very similar to the world we find ourselves in today. That, that people, where, where people are no longer people in our world, unless you've got 21,000 followers, you're like not much. You've got no influence, you just, unless, unless you have something to say, then you're not that important. I want to suggest that in this context, this is where the church can stand up and show power in, in, a, in a way that changes the world. See, we don't just have the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can have great worship services. We have the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses. And, and we don't just be witnesses by jamming 
tracks down people's throat and saying, get it and put your hand up right now. We're witnesses when we witness the power of Jesus working in us and through us so that Tertius and Gaius and Erastus and Cordus feel like they're part of us. Do you see that this was weird when people in the Roman Empire would have read this, this particular verse? They would have said, something weird's going on here. Because since when did Tertius and Cordus hang out with Erastus and Gaius? Never. And I, I want to declare to you that this is the kind of house that we will be. A place where Tertius and Gaius and Erastus and Cordus are together. And where we prophetically, by our lives, call out injustices and loneliness and social isolation. Because in this, because in this context that we find ourselves in, that's the miracle people are looking for. People who have felt alone all their lives. People who have felt like what was striking to me is when I was doing the research on the loneliness. Loneliness basically spans um, from 18 to 75, so basically they just should have said everybody is. What if we became something different? So the question is, how, how does that happen? How do w- why do we need the Holy Spirit? I, I think we need the Holy Spirit's power to see people. So some of you, up until this part in this series, you thought to yourself, like, I don't really, I don't, I don't really need, I just wish they would change the sermon series. Like, please, just go to Galatians or Ephesians. Because you've thought to yourself, I don't, I don't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need any of that weird stuff. I'm not planning on joining the prayer team. I'm just happy to sit in a chair. Listen, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to see people. Because, like, I'm just going to square with you. Like, on my own, I'm really selfish. I care about me and my things and are my toenails painted and is my outfit right. Like, I'm just me. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit and you're just going to try to tough it out on your own, good luck. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to see people. This doesn't happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I'm saying, Holy Spirit, come. I need you. Holy Spirit, I want you. Holy Spirit, I, I, I cannot do this without you. In order to see people that you work with, in order to see the people in your family, to actually see them. I'm not talking about seeing them. I'm talking about seeing them. And then I think we need the power of the Holy Spirit to identify where I've traded personhood for power. Because I, I actually think this is one of the convicting uh, issues that the Holy Spirit brings to us, trading personhood. So where, where have I traded personhood for ha- power? Where have I traded hustle for the Holy Spirit, rest, racing for rest, ladders for love, proving for peace, all this kind of stuff. And then I am going to invite the band to come back. I think we need to remember the importance of our own personhood. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Some of you have struggled wondering if you're good enough. Wondering if the sins that so easily entrap you, if you'll ever get free. And some of us, if we're honest, we feel a lot like Tertius. Like maybe you're not a 
literal slave, but in some ways you've become a slave to your own personality or your own mess-ups or your own <sighs> stuff. And today we need the power of the Holy Spirit to remember that we are his children. I'm always shocked when I talk to people. When people come to my office and I talk to them and I recognize halfway through the conversation that many of us don't actually believe that we are children of God. We sing the songs and we say the words, but if push comes to shove, we figure we got to like work it up. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us whose we are, that we are his, that we are his, that we are really his. And then when that happens, when we actually understand that all of us are children, that we, that we can be children of God, then things like the gifts of the Spirit, they're not weird anymore. <laughs> These natural outcomes that of course God would give his children gifts. I'm his child. I'm his. And some of us need a divine revelation of that. You can't work it up on your own because it's too awesome to believe that the God of the universe would breathe on us, would breathe on you. Some of us need a fresh, fresh revelation this morning. No matter where you are, no matter where you've done, no matter where you find yourself in society's pecking order, you're his. And we are all in this together. And we need one another. I was talking um, about this verse to a friend of mine. She doesn't know Jesus yet, but she's interested in ancient literature. And I was saying to her, this scripture has really, like, grabbed my heart. She said, it's weird, you know, this scripture, I, I've never seen it before, but it's interesting that those that thought those that would be powerless in the world's eyes became the bookends of these two verses. Do you notice that? Isn't that interesting? Like Paul could have said, Tertius could have said, hey, listen, so here's Tertius and I, my brother, and whatever, and now here are the really spiritual folks, Gaius and Erastus. The scripture isn't written like that. I, Tertius, send you greetings from Gaius and Erastus, and also from Cordus, my brother. There's something just, ah, just has got, you see, we have to get to the point where we recognize that on our own, we're nothing, because that's where power is displayed. That that's where real power from the Holy Spirit can come. And I, I know this is a strange thing, and probably, there's probably not very many of us that would say, yeah, like I, I've thought of myself as the powerful one, the spiritual one. Get yourself in between people that don't see themselves as powerful. Because pride always mixes us up. Can we just stand to our feet this morning? This is how I, uh, I was praying all week, God, how do we uh, end this service? And here's what I think we should do. I believe that all of us, with all of my heart, need the Holy Spirit. There's not one of us that is exempt. <laughs> and no matter how many times 
you've been filled, Paul tells us that we're kind of like cracked pots. We're cracked vessels. So we just continually need to be filled with the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't believe God has favorites. I don't believe he says, well, you seem really spiritual. Nice outfit today. All right. You hit it out of the park. God says to all of us, but you, fill in your name, but you will receive power. And remember, it's a contronym. You will receive the kind of power I give you when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I want to contextualize that and say, and you're, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be witnesses in Northwest Calgary, in all the other quadrants of Calgary, in the province of Alberta, in Canada, and all around the world. That's what God has called us to. Can, can we just raise our hands to the Father this morning? Father, I thank you that your presence is here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us deep and abiding faith now that you are a God who fills your children. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're able to fill us this morning, fill us to overflowing. Holy Spirit, we declare to you today that we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we want you. And God, I pray that you would fill your children now to overflowing with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. God, we want to be witnesses in a culture that so desperately needs you. Would you give us eyes to see where we have traded personhood for worldly power? Would you give us eyes to see, God, people around us? And God, I pray for every person in this room that they would recognize who they are in you. And would you confirm it today, God? Confirm it in our hearts. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.